You're listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochchurch.sg. Today, I was at uh, Junction 8 and just bought a ticket to go see the, I forgot the name of the movie, The Greatest Show. Yeah, The Greatest Show. And about five minutes after I bought my ticket, Stephen texts me and goes, do you mind sharing tonight? I said, no, I don't mind. You know, <laughs> what you're going to share? I said, well, I have my message already prepared. You know, well, in uh, in a, a draft uh, format. So that's what I'll be sharing tonight: is trusting God. Let's open with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this night. I just pray that you anoint the words that I speak; that they're your words and not my own. And we just thank you, Lord. We just give you all the honor and glory in Jesus' name. So, um, you know, sometimes as Christians, there are certain parts in our lives that we totally trust God in, whether it be our finances, our healing, you know, there's one or two, three that we really trust in in Him, but there's other areas we don't quite trust Him in, whatever it may be, maybe it's the relationship, maybe it's a thing that we have that He's told us to give up, you know, but we don't want to let it go because we're afraid of what might happen if we let go. You know, so, um, and sometimes because of fear, God says, trust me in this, and you don't want to because you fear whatever he's told you to trust him about. It may be something he's told you to do, and it's so much bigger than you, you know, and you fear and you don't want to step out in faith. You don't want to trust him, but he wants us to trust in him. So um, the solution is best if we just trust in God and not lean to our own understanding. You know, um, let's start with scriptures, Proverbs uh, chapter 3, 5 through 6. Let's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. And then the next one, we're going to go to the Second Kings chapter 18, verse 5. This Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all kings of Judah, either before him or after him. And I don't have this scripture up, but in chapter 19, we see where um, King Hezekiah got a letter from the king of uh, Assyria saying that he was going to come and he was going to destroy him. And who do you think your God is? You know, I've destroyed all these other cities and conquered all these other kingdoms. You know, we're going to do the same to you. But King Hezekiah, he trusted in God and he put the letter before God and he begged God, you know, please help us. He cried for mercy. You know, he he cried out to God, and he trusted in God. And the Lord spoke to him and said, "This the king of Assyria will not set foot in this town. You know, he will not even shoot the first arrow. And God saved him and delivered them. And uh, he trusted in in God. So we're going to go to 2 Kings now, chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. It said, In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. 
On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. I will add fifteen years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then Isaiah said, Take, take a cake of figs. And they took and laid it on the bowl, and he recovered. We need to trust in God like King Hezekiah trusted in God. You know, the, um, whenever God tells us to do things or to let go of things, sometimes we get comfortable with certain things in our lives, whether it be a, uh, a material thing or a relationship. We're so used to having it around that we don't know what we would do without it. You know, but God wants us to let it go. When He says, let it go, let it go, trust Him. He's got something better for you. When we don't let it go, when we don't trust in Him, we cannot move forward in the things of God. And sometimes we'll be asking, you know, well, God, why don't you answer this prayer? And why don't you answer this prayer? And He goes, well, you're not trusting me in this area. You know, so we really need to trust Him in that area. Don't be afraid. God, God is not, you know, He's not going to beat us up over the head or something if we make a mistake. He catches us and He brings us back up again. We just need to trust in Him. Even if our past mistakes, you know, don't let that hinder you. The enemy loves to bring up your past mistakes and repeat it and repeat it. And God says, don't worry about that because He's forgiven you all of your sins. You know, put your trust in Him. You know, trust in Him. And sometimes it's a lot easier said than done. You know, and... Um, it's, it's like there was one time when I first got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. I was uh, I would worship God. I mean, just would worship Him in the, in the morning. I'd get up early before I went to work. And as soon as I came home, I would worship Him. I'd shut my door, lock my door, close all my blinds and worship Him. And, um, and I had a holy visitation. I mean, I was worshiping God one, one morning. And... All of a sudden, I was transported out of my living room into the palm of God's hand. I mean, I was like in the little crease, like a speck of dust in the crease of his hand. And I couldn't see past this part of the hand. I couldn't see past all of his fingers. You know, it was, it was massive. His hand was massive. It was huge. And I was like, wow. And then all of a sudden, fear gripped me. And then all I could think of, you know, I had an unhealthy fear of God. I said, all he had to do is do like this, and I'd be crushed. <laughs> you know, seriously. I was like, I got too afraid of God. It was an unhealthy fear. You know, and all of a sudden I felt sadness fill the atmosphere around me. I said, God, what did I do wrong? He goes, I'm not trying, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want you to think of me like that. You know, I want you to know that I have you in the palm of my hand, that nothing can hurt you. You trust in me with everything, you know, and don't don't be afraid. Don't think that I want to hurt you. Don't think that way. That's what the enemy wants you to think that way. So if you're thinking that way, don't do that. God wants you to trust Him. He is there to help you. He is there to carry you even through the tough times. Just trust in Him. Amen. And um. Like I said, there's a, there's a difference between healthy fear and an unhealthy fear of God. And I just, when I was growing up, I, I'm the oldest of four children, and I used to be extremely shy and bashful. 
And um, my dad was a disciplinary. Of course, my mom was too, but he was more strict. He had been in the military, in the army, and everything. So he was just more uh, diligent in the discipline. He was a disciplinarian in, in the family. And so I was scared to death of my daddy. I mean, I loved him, and I knew he loved me, but I, growing up, I'd never ask him for anything, you know. And so when I got saved, that's how I perceived God, you know. I was scared. I didn't want to ask God for anything. I just served other people, and I never, ever asked for anything from God except for to bless others. I had no problems asking God for other people to heal them, you know, to provide for them, but I never, ever asked the Lord for anything for myself. Because it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all things shall be added unto you. But I still, I would never ask anything. And I was in a church uh, in Baton Rouge called Bethany World Prayer Center. I became a cell leader, and things started breaking down in my house, and things started going wrong, but I never asked. Because I was never taught to ask. I was, you know, it's just taught you just give, and if you can't, if you don't have the money to do something, you just do without. You know, and things were breaking down in my house, and as a cell leader, I didn't know how to ask for help. I was never taught that growing up. And um, through other leaders and other cell members, at the time, I just broke down one night in my meeting. We had a weekly home meeting. We uh, met, met from house to house. And uh, I just broke down before the uh, people came at this couple's house, and they said, look, you have not because you ask not. You know, when you trust in God and ask Him for the things that we need because He cares for even the most simplest things. He cares when our heater breaks down in the middle of winter. Of course, my heater broke down. My oven had quit working in the middle of winter. Just, just, my dryer had quit working, you know. Just things were adding up and the financial cost of it all too. You know, the stress of that. Of course, I was working at the time. But still, you know, and I didn't know how to ask God for anything or trust Him for anything. And then I started learning from different friends, you know, and um, different messages that I heard to trust in God. It's okay to ask Him for stuff. Even, st even when you hurt your finger, you know, ask God to heal it, and He will. And uh, I live in testimony of that a, few, a couple years ago in Cambodia. At the time, I had a roommate, and she was going out ministering and stuff, and I was at home by myself, and I was washing dishes. And one of the... Uh, drinking glasses broke and the glass stuck into my finger to the bone and I was there nobody was at home and uh, I, I remembered a, another missionary had same thing happened to her just a few weeks before and I remember she put her trust in God and she just said God heal it and it was pretty deep too and so I just remembered what she had said her testimony I said God heal it and help me get this glass out so I pulled the glass out and I wrapped it up and everything and within five minutes, there was like a white seam, like it was fused together, the whole, uh, and then the, it was still hurting real bad. I said, God, I'm going to ask you again, one more time, can you please take the pain away? <laughs> you know, and he did. He, you know, I mean, there was a little white, I had a little white scar for the longest, but there's no scar in this, in this finger at all, and he completely healed my, my finger. That may be small, but it was big at the time, because it hurts when it goes down to the bone. But uh, we, just, we just need to uh, trust in God, even when we uh, have a fear of what He's asked us to do. You know, and every time, it's been about five months since I've gotten in front of a group to share. Last time I was home in the States, back in September, I shared at a couple of churches. And, um, of course, this outline is very, uh, 
uh, raw, I guess you could say. It's not complete yet. The Lord was giving me more ideas as I was putting the message together. But we just need to trust God in every area. So we're going to look at some more scripture. Let's see. Psalms 25.1 In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. That's what we need to tell Him every day. When we first wake up, just whatever the day brings, I trust in you. What's the next one? Psalm 27.1 The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Next one. Psalm 56.4 It says, In God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? You know, it doesn't matter who comes against us. We keep our trust in God. You know, He's going he's to be our defense. He's going to take care of us. You know, we don't have to worry. And whenever we, whenever we put in front of people to speak, he will give us the words to speak. And he, he will defend us. We don't have to worry about getting revenge or anything like that. He will. Do We just need to trust in Him to take care of, of us. Psalms 31, 14. But I, but, I put, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. Psalm 40, verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. You know, when, when we walk out our lives and we trust in God, no matter what we're going through, people, other people can see that. And it will cause them to want that. They, want, they will want to trust in the God that we serve and not, not other gods. Next. Psalm 44. Blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Psalm 52.8 says, But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. And in these uh, past few scriptures, we see uh, seven things when we put our trust in God. He will make our path straight. He hears and answers our prayers. He helps us during times of trouble. We don't have to fear man or anything that comes against us. He will deliver us out of hardships. He will put a new song in our mouths and He will praise to our God so that we may be a witness and others can also trust in Him and He will bless us. It's a really short message tonight. <laughs> but um, I just want to encourage you to trust in the Lord no matter what, no matter what you're going through. You know, there's been times in my life <clears throat> the Lord blessed me with finances and then He turned around and told me to give them to another missionary that had wronged me. You know, what are you going to do when God tells you that? Are you going to go ahead and be obedient? Or are you going to say, well, no, they hurt me? You know, so no, you, you, you just be obedient. Because God's going to bless you again. And so, just trust in God in every situation. Amen. Uh, Sylvia has always been a blessing. And, uh, she brings God's truth to us to trust in the Lord. Specifically, I heard some key things that caught my attention. She said that... Uh, things in our lives that we don't want to let go of. I think that's a big one, you know, because we we have things, patterns, ideas, mindsets, things that we're living in, and God wants those things to be given. It's like every every stage, every movement that we make in God requires a sacrifice. You see in the, in the Old Testament, the patriarchs, every time they wanted to do something to go on, they had, as a custom, a sacrifice. 
they would give a sacrifice. They would make an altar. That's why God has so many specific names in the Bible that years ago I learned, you know, all the names that are associated with Jehovah God. And we learned them in order. Uh, years ago I studied um, under, there was an evangelist that was traveling around um, named Larry Lee. And he taught on uh, prayer, could we not tarry? And part of that, that thing that he taught in the 1980s was to um, name those names. You know, Hollywood be his name. So specifically, you would name the names of God and go down all the things he did. And I, I noticed that all of those names came from altars that were made upon which sacrifices were made. So then I realized, wow, all of the patriarchs, all of them, were required to sacrifice something for them to go to the next level. And that's probably one of the most difficult things for us to do when we need to trust God is to be able to sacrifice, to give up. And these days we've been reading through the Bible. And as we do every year, I'm always happy this time of year because come January we start from the beginning. And, you know, by the time we get to the end of the Bible reading and, you know, it's dragging me through Haggai or Hosea, I'm getting, it's kind of tedious, you know, like, okay, it's great, Malachi is a good book, I love it, but, you know, I've already endured um, Jeremiah and Lamentations, and, uh, but, so by the time January comes around in my one-year Bible reading plan, I'm so excited, because Genesis is just like your favorite movie, you know, it's like, oh, I love this movie, I love this story, I love all these things, and every year that it goes by, I it's like I want to put the brakes on it and just stay in Genesis. Like I could live in Genesis for the whole year and break it down. And lately we've been doing studies because we also, as we work forward, we see David. Uh, we've been doing Journey with David on Wednesday nights in that series, which has gotten a lot deeper than I suspected it would get. I mean, all these, the Journey series that we do through the years are pretty deep looks at characters We've done Journey with Jesus. In fact, that was the first one in the Journey series. We did Journey with Jesus, which was a harmony of the Gospels, uh, synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then also John, the narrative Gospel of John. And we put them together next to each other in harmony. And then we followed through and cut, we had 300, and I'm going to remember the number, 394, I think, uh, acts or things in the ministry of Jesus. It was very exhaustive. We didn't leave anything. Of course, it took us the better part of a year to get through it because we did it a couple of sessions or two hours each session uh, each Saturday. And right now we're going out uh, done it with um, several different leaders in the Bible. And uh, uh, we did Journey with Paul. We did Journey Through Acts, which is the journey with the church, basically, which is the Acts of the church. And that's what we found out is the Acts of the Holy Spirit. But I noticed that in both New Testament and Old Testament, this sacrifice was required. Something had to be given. Uh, and, you know, unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bides alone. We cannot reproduce, we cannot become more until we are willing to lay something down, give up something. And uh, it usually has a lot to do with things that were part of our culture, our society. Those that were not here this past Thursday, we did a message about the power of confession. And it was really a powerful teaching. I talked again uh, this morning in the the seven things about the power of confession and really saw that as we confess, as we speak things, there's so much that was released to us. And uh, I noticed that all the disciples also were required to sacrifice. Um, once again, that theme is throughout the Bible. 
Recently, I was studying Jacob and Joseph and the relationship between the two. I've always studied Jacob from the beginning of his life, carefully walking with him through um, uh, all the things that, you know, you know Jacob, the parts of his life. He was born grabbing the heel of Esau and holding on to it. Uh, he later stole the birthright of Esau by swapping it out for a bowl of pottage or lentils. And Esau foolishly despised his birthright, did that. We know later his mother helped him to deceive his father so that that blessing could be put upon him. He put even goat skins on his arms because his brother was hairy and he was not. And the Bible says he was a smooth man, whatever that means. But he put hair on his arms and uh, put his brother's coat on and deceived the father uh, who, against better judgment, and I suspect maybe that his father knew who it was because he said the voice is that of Jacob's, but the smell smells like Esau. And the hair, you know, he put even hair on his neck. He did a lot of apparently crooked things through the years. Uh, he ran from his brother because at that point his brother vowed to kill him. So his actions caused him all this trouble through his whole life. Uh, he deceived Laban to be able to, through animal husbandry, actually cause the animals to multiply in the type that the agreement set that I will keep the spotted ones and the striped ones. And he had some type of gimmick he could use by carving sticks by removing the bark of the sticks and showing the striped sticks when animals ate the trough, they saw that at breeding time. Of course, that's a that's some, that's seen in nature that animals see things, and they there are species of moths around the world that are multiple colored, all of the same species, because they see and they reproduce what they see. It's fascinating. God made them like that on purpose. And if I look at you long enough, I'll start looking like you. <laughs> you ever see friends that hang around all the time? They start to look like each other. But in this particular case, Jacob did that. It was a sneaky way of getting all that. Now, his sneakiness, his, his ways of being actually started wearing off on the people around him. His own wife stole Laban's uh, idols when they left and uh, pretended that she had her, her time of the month. And said, We see all these things they did. They sowed a lot of seeds of negative things, a lot of problems. Um, and finally... God caught up with Jacob and met him and spoke to him. And that's where he wrestled with God. And through the night, he would not let him go until he was blessed. Because if there's one thing Jacob had, it was persistence. And he wouldn't quit, no matter what. And I, and I really started to identify about the mistakes of my youth, the mistakes of uh, the last 30 years. I've had successes, but I've also made some errors and made some mistakes. And I, as I was reading and really recapping, I kind of put all the things in a line of Jacob, the bad things Jacob did on his way, that I realized, wow, I'm in good company. That no matter what, and this is what I really like about all the patriarchs, a lot of them were not good people. In other words, they were not these, these exceptional characters that stood out like bright shining diamonds and caused God to say, well, this one is special. No, it was because God just said it. And Abraham was the same. Abraham just believed that if you look at Abraham's life, he did some strange things. He was not exactly the best guy in the world. There's a couple of people in the Bible that says we're good. 
says that Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations, and that may be the reason why. We know uh, Enos was good, why God snatched him off the earth. But most of the patriarchs, they were not really good guys for a long time. And even then I started thinking about the disciples of Jesus. They were not really good people. For a while they were making mistakes. Enough to be called Satan. Get behind me. I mean, these are errors that they make. But I noticed that all everyone at one point or another has a turning point where it usually is connected to some type of sacrifice and something happens that changes us forever. Not necessarily blessing us, but changes us. In the case of the wrestling with God, Jacob's hip was torn and it was put out of joint and he limped for the rest of his life. But the, the transformation of that moment was, was, was so amazing when he met God and he went to the house of God, Bethel, and he talked to them and so much so that God uh, changed his name. He said, I don't want you to be associated with the Jacobness of you any longer. I'm going to call you Israel. And he changed his name. The, God spoke over him something new. Immediately following that visitation where he came into this change, he, he gave sacrifices to God. All of that was lined up. In fact, the sacrifices came first and then God came, spoke to him. And as a result, after that, he takes his sons and he immediately says, take those earrings out of your ears. Uh, get rid of your idols. He, he, in fact, there had been idolatry in his family. There were things in his own home, in his family. But after he, he had that encounter, that turnaround moment, he then cleansed his children. His children, before that, there was the incident where Dinah had gone out to visit in the countryside and the people of that country took her and, and they basically raped her. And the sons were angry and they took vengeance. Well, they learned that from their father. And he realized that. I think because he saw his errors, the errors of his own children, the errors of his wife, all these issues and these problems. He justified it along the way. If you're ever interested, do a comparative study of what Jacob says happened and what the Bible's narrative says happened concerning Laban and those animals. Because uh, when he tells it to his wives... Uh, uh, Rachel and Leah, when he tells them about what happened, it was angelic and spiritual and wonderful, and God did a miracle. You saw how God caused the animals that he didn't let them in on his manipulation. And so we see a character that was justifying all these things. And I think of the fact that the Bible says that we are his handiwork. Uh, we are created for good works in Christ. But he is also the author and the finisher. Now, the word finishing can also be the perfecter. In fact, one translation says the perfecter. And that's what he's doing in us as we go along. And as long as we don't quit, nothing can stop us. Even when we make mistakes, even when there's problems, the only thing that can stop us is us. And if we are yielding to him, think of how many years went by through Jacob's life before God really got to him. And that's what happened after he wrestled with him. His name was changed. And then he had to confront his past, which was he saw coming back to him. And because your past is coming after you, your past will always find you. I know we think we can bury it. And we want to bury it, but it seeks you. And one day you're going to have to see it face to face. Sometimes uh, back, back, sometime back I did a message about mercy and needing mercy. 
And that is exactly what Jacob met in his brother Esau. And he thought, when he walked up to him, he's bowing down seven times. He has all these sacrifices to give him. He's trying to bribe him to assuage his anger. And instead, Esau ran up to him. And I know that at that moment, Jacob was waiting for the knife blade. But instead, he got a hug and a kiss. And just he realized that once he wrestled with God, once God, he allowed God to change him, and he insisted on the blessing, then God started working everything out. He, the word says that he will make your enemies to be at peace with you. Yeah. And even Esau, and all that anger, and his vow, I mean, his life was built on killing his brother. He was going to go take back. But he didn't. God blessed him anyway. And because the Father spoke a blessing over him too. And God softened his heart for Jacob. Started fixing all these problems. Started repairing all the things that Jacob had systematically broken through the years. And Jacob learned lessons as he got older. And uh, he, he went into the house of God again to Bethel. And um, then he finally had a son named Joseph. And that's really where recently I was studying. When, he, when Joseph came to be, and I'm just going to uh, paraphrase the scriptures because we're kind of, it's kind of a second message um, to, to take, take part here. And I don't want to drag us through all the verses. But uh, there are some things I just want to mention real quick. Just seven quick things about this Jacob and Joseph. First of all, Jacob finally got things right. He's living right. Things are going well. And he gets this wonderful child named Joseph. And Joseph was his favorite child. He was, he was so uh, preferred that um, uh, he made him, a, uh, 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 he blessed him. He gave him a special coat, uh, the coat of many colors. And he, he was favored. Of course, his brothers hated him. And right at the time, finally, he got something great. He'd been tempted. He learned through the years. But also, this thing was immediately taken away from him. As soon as uh, Joseph was older, you know the story of how Jacob lost Joseph because of what the brothers did. And as a result, after that, Jacob went from 37th chapter of Genesis all the way to the 42nd chapter of Genesis, uh, just bereaved and depressed and unhappy and living through famine. Then by the time you get to chapter 42, uh, Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt. Now, you know why there was grain in Egypt, because you know the story of Joseph, and how Joseph, meantime, and whenever I look at this passage of Joseph, of course, that's what we study. We study Joseph. But recently, I took a very close look at, during that time, Jacob. Because we kind of forget about him at that moment. He just shows up, oh yeah, your dad heard you're alive, that's great. But he was going through some very serious things. The Bible paid more close attention to his crooked years than it did his righteous years. And that also caught, called my attention to the fact that God gets a lot more out of our mistakes than he does our successes. And that our errors, our problems, our mistakes are really the thing that serves as a catalyst for spiritual growth. That's where we grow. That's where we learn. Well, what are you saying, Pastor? We just need to do bad things all the time? No. I'm saying that when those things happen, learn your lesson. Learn from what happened. Learn from the wrong. But don't quit. Just, just learn. Change your method. Let God change you, more importantly. Lay down the thing you're supposed to lay down, as Sylvia said. Sacrifice the thing you're supposed to sacrifice. Give it to God. Then God will meet you. and He may change something in you so severely that you limp for the rest of your life. But now Jacob's in this, this moment where he has to go through this famine. He lost hope entirely. 
He said words like, everything is against me. Uh, he, he said that um, uh, everything works out against me. Everything's bad. Have you ever felt, how many have ever said that? It seems like everything's working against me. Everything's going wrong. Everything's falling apart. Well, that's Jacob was at that moment concerning Joseph. His heart was broken. But at least he still had Benjamin. And he held on to Benjamin. And God, using Joseph in a clandestine way, because it was not known to the Father, even went after that. The one last little thing he had. And I find that God is fond of torturing us. It's, it's like he likes to... And I was talking to someone today in a time of counseling. I do regular counseling things uh, through the internet on Sunday. And I was talking to a very dear friend and disciple. And he was asking these questions. You know, like... One of the questions was, it just seems like God is somewhat of like a masochistic type. Uh, like he, he, he... Why would he... Why would he do this? And I said, well, you have to get your eyes on the right place. If our eyes are on earth, that's how we will see it. If our eyes are in heaven, we will see it as a blessing. Because Jesus had heaven eyes, when he talked about persecution, he, he put it in the list of blessings. That he, in this life, he will give you. If you've given up houses and lands, and the father, mother, brother, all these things, he'll give you in this life houses and lands, and father and mother, and blessings, as, and with it, persecutions. And the persecutions were the cherry on the top of the Sunday. Because Jesus knew, what does the Bible say, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or testings, because that's the trying of your faith is what makes you what God wants you to be. And Jacob was just being put, all of the, the patriarchs were tortured. In fact, I started thinking, there's these people out there that try to sell this idea that the Christian life is a life of constant happiness. And it's totally not biblical. And the problem with that theory is that once it's given to someone and they enter into this thing called Christianity and it doesn't always make them happy, that they decide they're either not doing it right or it's not right. And that's why Jesus spent so much time preparing them. Because we see this going, going through this, um, this whole process. And Jacob, of course, had just consigned himself to just, he walked around, you know, woe is me, life is against me, he's miserable. For all those years that Joseph was away, thinking he was dead. But then Jacob found that hope returned. It says they, the sons went up to Egypt and they came to their father Jacob uh, in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. This is after they went and Joseph revealed himself to them. And Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. Uh, because this is the thing. Once you... Once things have gone bad long enough, even blessings are offensive to you. It's like, you, it's just to, you will, this is when hope dies. Because you can lose hope. You can lose track of hope. Uh, I heard one person say this one time when he met a very optimistic relative of mine, one of my disciples, met him. This relative of mine, very, one of those super optimistic, everything's great people. Which, those people are good to have around. You need people to, you know, keep you enthused about things. But, you know, they, uh, they, sometimes it can be too much. And that's, he, he was thinking about that man. This disciple was thinking about this hyper-optimistic individual. He said, you know what? He says, let me tell you something about your uncle. Because it's an uncle. He says, I'll tell you his problem. 
And I was curious, what is this problem? He says, he places way too much stake in hope. And those words went into my head. I've never been able to escape those words. That hope is necessary, but it, it, <laughs> this guy was like too optimistic. And I thought about that. And I'm thinking about Jacob. Jacob lost his hope entirely. He had no hope. He bought the idea that what he had lost would never come back. And that's when hope is not there. But hope is real and hope is alive. And this is the thing I found about hope. Hope will never leave you because it is God's presence with you. So if even when you push it to the side, you can mistreat hope in your life. You can reject hope, but hope will always haunt you. Isn't it true? Always, if you have the Spirit of the Lord in any way, shape, or form, when everything falls apart and you've given up, hope just keeps sneaking in behind you. Yeah, but you know, things can turn around. No, they can't. It's over. It's finished. No more. My son's dead for Yeah, but what if? And it just keeps like this echo. Because God is God of restoration. Because God is a God of miracle restoration. And this is what happened with Jacob. Then they tell him he doesn't even believe it when he hears it. It's too good to be true. And they told him everything Joseph had said to them. And by the way, at this time, they were also confessing their sins and what they had done to their own brother. And it says everything that he had said to them. And when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back. See, by this time, he's like, no, it's impossible. There's no way. And then he looked out the window. Wait a minute. Because he sent several carts full of goods and blessings and food with camels and, and he knew well, this story has to be legitimate there's no way my sons would go get all of this stuff and they were Egyptian carriages that would be recognized as such and it says that the spirit of their father Jacob revived and Israel said I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive now he turns around, he is restored to what was lost, he's given back to his son, his son embraces him and receives him, and all those that went with Jacob, actually all the way back, um, Jacob went with his all of their belongings, all their family, uh, there were direct descendants, not counting his sons and wives, there were 66 persons, or the men of the home, plus all the people that went, and they were given a special place in the land of Goshen, you know the story, and Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And as soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. And Israel said to Joseph, Now I'm ready to die, since I've seen my, for myself that you are still alive. That hope in the, in the very end of his life. And then that really disturbed me. Because I thought, what if that's the deal? Uh, what if, and, and by the way, Hebrews chapter 11 is on my side. It gives the, the whole list of the hall of fame of faith. And in that list is a key verse, and it says, These died having never realized the things that they hoped for. I thought, that's, see, once again, this is very different than some of the prosperity, happiness gospels that are out there. That we may have to live our whole life. Uh, then that means that hope itself, Connected to faith. What are the three things? Faith, hope, love. Those things, that it, though, if we focus it just to keep hope. If I died hoping for something and never seen it, it's counted unto me as righteousness. Because it's living faith. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And, you know, Jacob lost hope. But it came back to him. 
And of course he dies in Egypt a happy man, and he gave instructions that he would not be buried in Egypt, but that he would be taken and, and buried at Mamre in the tombs of his father. And God blessed him. But I, I just want, I mean, I know that's not the most encouraging word to give you and tell you, well, you know what, you can hope all you want, but things probably are not going to work out. And this recently we heard someone, uh, a fellow from uh, New Zealand, right? He, was it him? No, it was the other guy, the American uh, guy that was, he works for a company here in Singapore. And um, uh, somebody asked him, you know, so uh, what about 2018, New Year? Excited about this? New, you know, we all have our resolutions. And, and he says, yeah, you know, you always hope for the best, but it never works out. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes that's true. And this is what I heard today from a, from a friend I was talking to. They say, okay, overall, um, when I wake up in the morning, what do I mean? How can you, I hear you say, he said, I hear you say we need to live for other people. We need to love other people. We need to give to other people. We need, in fact, you said many times, the gospel is others, not yourself. But, you know, I just, I, I feel kind of selfish. I have to ask this question. And he says, what's in it for me? And that's a very good question. I said, there's nothing wrong with asking the question, what's in it for me? Because you want to know. I mean, a workman knowing not his his um, wages is a poor laborer. You don't know what you're getting paid. I can tell you, you know, hey, why don't you move all this furniture out into the car park out there for me? And you would be like, okay. You maybe help me. But what if I tell you, you know, if you move all this furniture out of the car, I'll pay you $5,000. You would be the best furniture mover. I would. I don't know how, I don't know your value of money. But for me, yeah, absolutely. I would say, well, sit down and relax. You want some coffee? I got this. I would move everything because it's, you know that there's something coming from. So when we ask the question, what's in it for me? Really, it, this is the key to, to what I discovered today in talking to. I mean, I know it, but I've never really put it into words. I do ask every single day, what's in this for me? And because if I didn't know what's in it for me, then I would not have the energy to continue. Why would I go on? There are people who, who work a nine-to-five job for 40 years, and they don't like that job. They do it. Why? Because they know that ultimately it is creating a source of revenue that will carry them even into their older ages and puts their children through college. They're not doing it for themselves. They're not doing it because they're happy. I mean, God bless you if you have a job that you really enjoy. But I think it's a disservice to tell people that if you don't enjoy your job, then you should find a different job. Jobs are jobs. It's work. Who really, I mean, you just, you have to work. That's the way the Bible says you shouldn't eat if you don't. So we go and do those things. But if you have a motivation and understand, well, I'm doing this so that I can produce uh, and provide for my family and provide for this, it's other people again. That's what Jesus is looking for. So to answer the question, what's in it for me? All you need to do is ask that question from an eternal perspective and not an earthly perspective. It's not what's in it for me here. There will be blessings, but that cannot be my focus. The Bible says, set your affection on things above, not things of the earth. So what's in this for me, God? I asked this question way back when I was 18 years of age, a year after um, my salvation experience. What's in it for me if I go into the nations, if I lay down my life for you? I can do things. I had opportunities. I could have done many things. I had a dream of being a marine biologist. And I'm not a stupid guy. I'm pretty clever. I could have done the, the, the work in school. I could have been the education. I could have done it all. Many things I could have done. But I really, as a young man, I gave my whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
asking that question, what's in this for me? He told me what was in it for me. He showed me eternity. He showed me the reward and the value of this. And now, 30 years later, that's why I'm still here. And I will continue because I'm selfish. Because of my selfishness, eternally, I will do whatever needs to be done. Just like the guy will move all the furniture because that's $5,000. The rich, poor, whatever. $5,000 is $5,000. It's just some chairs. You would do what is this like one time. I never forget. My wife, uh, you know, everybody knows she cooks. Uh, she was asked to do this buffet during Halloween. Immediately, Christian Halloween, I don't know. It sounds kind of hokey. We're believers. And she's thinking this. And then it got worse. They said, uh, we want you to do a buffet. But we want you to do it like a dead body. And we want it to be a zombie. And you eat the zombie. So we want sausages in the intestines. We want... they. And she's thinking, no way. She said, no. She's, no. She said, this is really... That's just a little too far, and they said, we'll, we'll pay you $200. She said, okay, what do you want in the chest? Because I had an idea about some pork ribs. If you could get... Change things really quickly. Because I mean, we're missionaries, you know, we don't have a lot of money. I mean, it, it depends on God's provision. It's so funny, and that's not necessarily compromise. Some people, well, she compromised her beliefs. No, she saw an opportunity, and when the press was right, yeah, okay, no problem. What, do you want me to dress up like a zombie? I will serve it like a zombie if you want me to. Just another hundred dollars, I got it. But my, my, I'm selfish, that's what I realized today. I'm selfish, but from an eternal perspective. Because one day, I'm going to stand before him. In eternity. And I want to be able to give him a lot because of what he's given me. He's given me so much life, so much peace, so much joy, so much happiness, so much experience. I've been in so many nations and villages. I've been the one to say Jesus for the first time to people in tribal areas in deep India. I've been in villages deep and seen miracles and healings and God do great things through this simple person all through these years and I'm so grateful to him that I don't I, and the reason I keep going is because I am selfish when I get there I want the full reward and there's nothing wrong with that selfishness is a problem when what you want in fact remember the Bible only tells you to it always tells you do not covet right don't covet this don't covet that don't covet except for spiritual things it says covet the spiritual the gifts it mentions, actually in the Greek, it actually says they're covered the spiritual things is what it means. In other words, the realm of spirit that is eternity. Let that be the thing that you do everything for your motivation. So ask the question, what's in it for me? And I can't help but think these patriarchs had the same idea. Why did they continue? Why did they know? Because they received the promise from God. I'll make you into a great nation. So it wasn't them. They would, they would die before the nation become great. And that's where the writer of Hebrews laid them all out there for these wonderful things. And so we continue. We continue. We had a wonderful woman here the other day uh, from Bangladesh. I mean, she's from New Zealand, but she's a missionary in Bangladesh for 40 years. How many of you here when she was here? A couple of you here, you met her. Really sweet lady. She shared about despair, difficulty, how it's not easy there all those years in Bangladesh. And... Um, and she stood, and God really encouraged her here. But I thought about her. See, she's like a patriarch. 
Uh, she hasn't seen the fruit she wanted. Forty years. Seems like by forty years you should figure something out. Oh, look at Moses. Look at the Israelites. That name rings a bell, doesn't it? And what did they quit on year 39 and a half, right in the middle of that year? Just, oh, forget it. I'm not going to do anything anymore. No, Moses just continued his life and then he met the burning bush, which of course God manifested to him. And I really believe that woman's about to come into something great. That was really cool because I love the spiritual gifts. Uh, the gift of the word of knowledge came forward and, and Caleb was praying for her and said, oh, two strange words came forward. Anne says to her, this, I thought when Anne said it, I was like, why did you tell her? But it was God. Because Anne looks at her and says, you're, you're dead. <laughs> but if it hadn't been for the presence of God, I, I knew, okay, and I trusted. I would have never had them come forward to pray because I know they hear from God. Because you're dead. And then later after we finished, we all prayed different words. I'm like, and, and um, or they did. I didn't because she had spoken to me earlier in the day and, and I was I knew too much. So it's better to let the gifts flow through people that do not know. And um, uh, she said after, she said, that was, she cried and said, you have no idea how important that word was. She said, all this past year, I've been begging God to let me die. To die to myself. To die. So when she heard, you're dead, it was like, Yes! Now, on the other side, this was just blew me away, Caleb. I've seen a lot of gifts of the word knowledge. And I know Caleb. Caleb didn't know what he was doing. He just, he just saw something and said it. He says to her, he says, I, I see you and your husband. Uh, you, you're like, you're building a bridge. You're building a long bridge, and it's going into like the, the mucky mud, you said, and the dark, you know, saying all this. And he's talking about this bridge. And I'm thinking the whole time, well, that's a beautiful metaphor. <laughs> You know, an analogy of the bridge to, you know, how that's wonderful. And he goes to this whole thing, and she's just like in shock hearing it. And, and, and so I'm standing by, I have my hands on her the whole time praying for her. And, and then after, she said, you have no idea. She said, my husband is the chief engineer of a construction contract to build the longest bridge ever in Bangladesh. And we've been building it. And he even said, it's hard. Things turn up. You've been discouraged. They tried to bring it to an end. And she said, you have no idea. We actually are building a bridge. And the World Bank believed lies of allegations of corruption and withheld and pulled out their funding. And when they pulled out the funding and didn't give it to us, this, this is what happened. That's what you know, they, they, they mentioned that the millionaires gathered together and encouraged them and invested money and gave it to them and all these things. And it was amazing, amazing to, to hear the story. But she was encouraged. And then we all prayed for her and laid hands on her and blessed her and God filled her with life. But that's, she was another example of the same thing I'm talking about, Jacob. The same thing I'm talking about, the patriarchs. And the same thing my friends did. So ask the question, well, what's in it for me? But ask it from an eternal perspective. Amen? Thank you for listening to Antioch Center for the Nations. If you would like to support our efforts, please consider making a donation at www.antiochchurch.sg. Thank you.